What an amazing time of uh, celebration, celebrating our Lord God. We stand forgiven at the cross. The last evening of New Horizon, and as I was saying, the sun always shines in Northern Ireland. Um, just before I, I get on to, um, to talk this evening, can I just say again a huge thank you to you all. It has been such a, a, a joy uh, for Susanna and myself and the children to be uh, here these last three days. And uh, I, I don't know if you realize, but you have something really unique here. Uh, and I mean unique in a good way. Um, uh, three things that certainly Susanna and I have been really, really struck by uh, with New Horizon. Firstly, I don't think we've been anywhere, any conference anywhere, where everyone is quite so friendly and in such a, a lovely down-to-earth way. So just thank you so much to all of you for your welcome uh, and your friendliness. Uh, second thing we've been amazed by is the volunteers. Um, there are so many volunteers, and you are all so brilliant at your job. Your warmth, uh, your efficiency, uh, whether it's uh, those helping with the children's groups, the stewarding, the road safety, whatever. I, I've just been blown away by all the volunteers. And then the third thing particularly we've been struck by uh, is the leadership of New Horizon, the board. Uh, I, I don't know if you know them, the men and women that make up the board, but as uh, I've got to know them the last few days, they're an incredible bunch of men and women. You are in such safe and such wise hands with them. They are such a great uh, and godly group, and it has been such a joy uh, to get to know them. Do give them a round of applause. Uh, now, tonight, um, we're going to be looking at the second half of the talk at a bit from uh, Romans chapter 8. And uh, I know we've seen, looked a bit of Romans 8 already this week, uh, but I'm just going to read it again. Romans 8 and verses uh, 16 to 39, if you want to turn there. Romans 8 and verses 16 to 39. Heather mentioned her talk uh, yesterday about how gracious um, Dave and I had been letting her talk on Romans 8. Dave probably was very gracious. I was less so because I'm going to speak a little bit on it. Uh, so here we go. Romans 8 and uh, six, verse 16 I'm going to start with. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to, subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to, to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we, await, we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. 
And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you speak into our hearts and into our minds and into our wills tonight? Holy Spirit, would you do that tonight just as you have been doing throughout this week? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the last two nights, we have been looking at the book of Colossians. Uh, We looked at Colossians 1 and 2, then 3 and 4. There is no 5 and 6, and that's why I couldn't read Colossians 5 and 6. And we've been looking at the theme verse, Colossians 1.27, where the Holy Spirit is described as Christ in you, the hope of glory. And over the last two nights, if you've been here, we focused on the first half of that phrase, the Holy Spirit as Christ in you. Christ resident in you and me who is trusting in Jesus. And we've looked at how the indwelling Spirit, how he transforms you and me, and how the indwelling Spirit, he also transforms the world, transforms other people through you and me. But tonight, what I'd love us to do is to focus on the second half of that phrase in Colossians 1.27. That the Holy Spirit is not just Christ in you, but he's also Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, there are a few uh, places in Scripture where the Holy Spirit is pictured as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And just on the screen are going to come a couple of those um, uh, bits. I'm just going to read them out. First one's in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says, God anointed us and set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Similar idea, he writes in Ephesians. He says, when you believed, you were marked in Jesus with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. 
Now, I guess many of us here will have been involved in the purchase or the sale of a house. And we'll know only too well the difference between a bare guarantee and a guarantee accompanied by an actual deposit of money. Uh, Susanna and I, we have caused pain uh, to others by putting an offer on a house only to remove that bare guarantee before paying any, uh, paying any deposit when we learnt from a survey about the structural problems with a house. And this phrase in Colossians 1.27, the hope of glory, it carries this whole idea that the Holy Spirit, he is a deposit, he is a down payment, he is a foretaste guaranteeing what is to come in all its fullness in the future. In that Romans 8 passage that I just read, verse 23, Paul talks about the, the first fruits of the Spirit. It's that same idea. This foretaste, the first fruits of the whole harvest in the future. The hope of glory. And so what I'd love us to do first of all this evening is to think about this idea of glory. What is this glory that the Holy Spirit is the hope of? What is this glory that the Holy Spirit is this down payment, this foretaste, these first fruits of? And I'd love us to think about it by looking at a not particularly well-known verse in uh, Romans chapter 9. Romans 9 verse 23. And it's going to come up on the screen or do turn to it in your Bibles. Romans 9 23 says this. What if God did this to make the riches of God's glory known to the objects of God's mercy whom he prepared in advance for glory? So here are three very simple points regarding glory. Number one. God is glorious. God is glorious. This verse says the riches of God's glory. Now saying that God is glorious is saying that God has a weight, a splendor, that God is worthy of praise. And that's what we've been doing as we've been singing. We have been praising God. But let's be honest, it is difficult to define the glory of God. You see, the word glory, it's more like the word beauty than the word beef burger, isn't it? I mean, imagine someone came to me and they said they didn't know what a beef burger was, okay? If they said that, it'd be a bit strange, I mean, admittedly, but it wouldn't be too hard for me to define a beef burger. You know, it's this sort of flat round thing. It's about six centimeters in diameter. It's made of meat, cow's meat, I think. Uh, you eat it often in a bun. You know, that, that you could define a beef burger. But it's more difficult to define beauty like that, isn't it? Because beauty is abstract. So instead, what you have to do to, to understand beauty is to, to point to lots of things that are beautiful. And as a result, we build up a picture of what beauty is. So we see beauty made manifest in the, the beach at Port Stewart. We see beauty made manifest in the Giant's Causeway. We see beauty made manifest in a sunset in my wife. And it's the same thing with the word glory. Glory is not definable like a beef burger. For the glory of God is like beauty. It's abstract. In fact, the, the glory of God is the beauty of God's holiness made manifest, made public. Now, the holiness of God, that's the fact that God is perfect. No one else is. God can't be improved on. God is separated from us all by him being perfect while we're not. 
But do you remember Isaiah's vision of God in Isaiah chapter 6? The angels are crying out and they say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his... You'd think, you know it, I know you know the answer, that's great. But um, you might have expected them to say holiness. You know, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his holiness. But that's not what happens. They say, holy, 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 the whole earth is full of his glory. Because the glory of God is the beauty of God's holiness made manifest. It is God going public on his holiness. It is the way God puts his holiness on display for people like you and me to marvel at and to be amazed at. And we see God's glory in creation. We see God's glory in human beings when we're living as God intends. And supremely, we see God's glory in Jesus. And the key thing for us tonight is that this glory of God, it is an eternal, forever glory. In fact, the very last verse in the whole of Romans, Paul finishes by saying, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Many of you will know the... um, Uh, the famous first question of the Westminster Catechism. What is the chief end of man? Or woman, they might have added. What is our chief end? What is life all about? What is our purpose, they were asking. And the answer that was written down, our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Because God is glorious forever. But second, Romans 9.23 reminds us that we, you and I, we are not glorious. What if God did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy? We are not naturally glorious like God. In fact, we deserve God's wrath, his anger, which Paul actually speaks about in the previous verse in Romans chapter 9. In fact, do you remember Paul's famous verse earlier in Romans? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're not glorious. However, in Christ, God has had mercy on us, giving us what we don't deserve. We are objects of God's mercy. And you know, it gets even better than that. Because this is the amazing news. We who are not naturally glorious, we who fall short of the glory of God, we who deserve God's wrath and destruction, but we who, as we've trusted in Christ, we who have become objects of God's mercy rather than objects of God's wrath, we don't just know forgiveness of sins now. We don't just know the indwelling of God's spirit now. But look at how this verse, Romans 9.23, look at how it finishes. What if God did this to make the riches of God's glory known to the objects of his mercy, you and me, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Whom he prepared in advance for God's glory. In Christ, you and I, we will be glorious. Uh, my um, cousin's uh, youngest child is six. 
She's called Chloe. And uh, recently she was playing tennis at her primary school. She goes to primary school in Wimbledon. And there were people from the Wimbledon Lawn Tennis Association there. And she was talent spotted, age six. And she's been given free tennis lessons at Wimbledon until the age of 16. She is being prepared in advance for glory, hopefully. (laughs) Now for us, this life is a preparation in advance for glory. An eternal, certain glory in the new creation. A certain glory, because it does not depend on our skills like Chloe's tennis skills, but it's a certain glory because it's dependent on our Savior, Jesus Christ. And just look at how certain this is, that we are being prepared in advance for glory as we turn back to Romans 8, where we're going to spend the rest of our time. And just have a look at these famous verses, verses 28 to 30 of chapter 8. This is what Paul writes. He says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now what I'd love you to do is just look at the chain that Paul describes. He says, God foreknew, God predestined, God called, God justified, God glorified. It's this guaranteed chain of events. One leads to the next uh, like a line of dominoes. God foreknew. God predestined. Both of those happened before time. Then God called. God justified. Both of those happened for each one of us at the moment we started out the Christian life and put our trust in Jesus. And then God glorified us. That's describing where we will be and what we will be like in the new creation, in the eternal future. So you might be wondering, why does Paul put glorified in the past tense when it's actually still in the future? You see, all those other others foreknew, predestined, called, justified, they've already happened if we're Christians, but not glorified, that is still in the future. I mean, if anything could be described as glorified in this world, if anything, it must be New Horizon, mustn't it? I mean, you know, so many amazing times this week. But glorified, you know, New Horizon is extraordinarily great. You are a very nice bunch of people to be with. But the truth is, it did actually rain today. The truth is, when I went to the toilet earlier, it wouldn't flush. The truth is, you did have to look at an awful mock-up photo of me as a Spice Girl last night. But, but more seriously than that, you know, I have met people in the last three days who are suffering, who are struggling with all sorts of different issues. New Horizon is fantastic, but it's not glory. So how come Paul puts glorified in the past tense? 
And the answer is this. Paul puts us being glorified in the past tense, not because it's already happened, not because it is happening at New Horizon, but because despite us being glorified, still being in the future, it is absolutely certain to happen. It is as good as done because it is God who is making it happen. We will be glorious. We'll be free from sin. We'll be free from suffering. We'll have resurrection bodies. We will be totally glorious. Like God, the beauty of God's holiness made manifest 100% in us. Now here I have a um, special item, a New Horizon tug-of-war rope. And um, I want to use this little bit here at the end to represent my life or your life, okay? So here... And the yellow bit is where we're born. Okay, we're born there. And if I get my um, snot rag out here, and uh, I'll tie that round here, and um, that is where we die. Okay, so this is our life here. Start here, the yellow, born there, die there. Now, in Romans 8 terminology, God foreknew me. God predestined me here before time. Okay. Then in Romans 8 terminology, God called me and God justified me somewhere around here as a 17-year-old, my last year at school when I became a Christian. And God, he will glorify me here after death. Now, if we can be totally confident of glory for all eternity after we die because it depends on Jesus' performance, not on our own performance. What should we focus on? Should we focus on this little bit of rope here? Or should we focus on here and here and here and here into eternity? What should we be focusing on? So often... We get so wrapped up in what happens here in this little bit of rope. We focus so much on this life that we forget that life after death even exists. And so I want to encourage each one of you tonight. And I want to encourage myself that as New Horizon draws to a close tonight, would you look up from the pains And the pleasures of life in the present. Would you look up from the decisions and the the difficulties of the next few weeks and months in your life? Would you even look up from the fears and the fascinations concerning your long-term future before death? And I want you to go in your mind's eye all the way forwards to an eternity in glory. Face to face with Jesus. That's where it's all heading. And we can do that. We can do that because of the Holy Spirit living in you and me. He is the hope of glory. He is the deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And you know, having this this hope of glory in the future, that has a huge impact on how you and I will actually live in the present as we go from New Horizon. And so very simply, from the the second half of Romans 8, I want to encourage us 
by three results of the Holy Spirit being the hope of glory. And here's the first encouragement. The past doesn't define you. The past doesn't define you. All of us, we have baggage from the past. Things that we regret, things that we've done wrong, ways that we've been hurt by others, sometimes deep hurts. We've got baggage. Now, of course, there is a vital place for for Christian counseling, for prayer ministry. But here is the greatest thing for every single one of us in dealing with our baggage of the past. The greatest thing is to let the Holy Spirit work in us and change us so that we start defining ourselves not by what has happened in the past, not even by who we are and what we do in the present, but we start defining ourselves in the light of what we one day will be in the future. Look at Romans 8 verse 16. It says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You see, there will be sufferings now due to our sin, due to other people's sin, due to living in a world that is out of kilter with God. There will be suffering now, but the amazing truth is that in Christ, the Spirit helps us lift up our eyes to what we will be, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Everything that Christ inherits, we will inherit in Christ too. God will no more stop loving us than he will stop loving Jesus. And so whoever you or I are, do not define yourself by your past baggage. I was abused. I was neglected. I was a troublemaker. I was a spoiled brat. Whatever it might be about your past. Please don't even define yourself by what you are in the present. Because you'll either get too puffed up. I'm a six-figure salary executive. I'm a caring, selfless individual. Or you'll get too pulled down. I've just sinned. I've just stuffed up. I've let God down. I'm of no use to him. Now please, define yourself not by the past, not by the present, but by the future. Who am I? I'm an heir of God. I'm a co-heir with Christ. That is what I'm preparing for. I'm being prepared in advance for glory. That is where I'm heading. Prince Charles, Prince William, Prince George, they're all preparing in advance to be king. It defines who they are, what they will be in the future. So too you and me. We're being prepared in advance for glory, a glory far more wonderful than being an earthly king or queen. So the past doesn't define you. Second, the present doesn't defeat you. The present doesn't defeat you. There's a huge tension between what we experience now as a Christian and what we experience not yet. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Suffering now, glory later. And as I think has already been pointed out this week, this chapter of uh, Romans, Romans chapter 8, so full of the Holy Spirit, is also so full of talk of groaning. Three times groaning, the world, the whole creation, groaning in verse 22. 
Christians groaning in verse 23. Even the Holy Spirit himself groaning in verse 26. Everyone groaning for a future free from struggle and suffering. Groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Recently, two um, uh, male TV presenters on uh, Dutch TV, uh, they volunteered to experience the pain of childbirth. Uh, and apparently, uh, one of them, before the, sort of the electrodes were put on their tummy uh, to simulate um, uh, labor pains, he said to camera this, I quote, he said, according to women, childbirth is the worst kind of pain there is. But you know, according to men, women exaggerate everything. Well, that male bravado, it quickly disappeared as the experiment got underway. And there's footage on YouTube, you can look it up, of these two blokes. They're moaning, they're groaning, then they're screaming and kicking their legs in absolute agony. You see, the amazing thing is I I look at um, Susanna, we've had four children. I look at mothers in general, and it is amazing that they're prepared to put themselves through such pain. You know, never again, said Susanna, after our first child. But she did, again, and again. And again, and they're obviously prepared to do that because of what the future holds, the glory of the birth of a new child. And it's the same for us all. In our lives, there will be times for some when the pain of the present seems unbearable. So bad we can hardly describe it. There'll be people here in this tent this evening who are in that kind of pain right now, physical pain from illness, emotional pain, relational heartache, people feeling defeated by it, groaning. Now in verse 23, it talks about the first fruits of the Spirit. Sometimes those first fruits, that down payment of the Spirit in verse 23, sometimes that means that the Holy Spirit brings a portion of the not yet of God's blessing, his reign and his rule into the now. And that's why we can be expectant for some breakthrough in this life. We can't demand transformation in the here and now, but sometimes it happens. And praise God when it does. Healing comes. Miraculous transformation in a situation, whatever it may be. It's because the Holy Spirit is the first fruits. He's the, de- he's the deposit, a portion of the not yet coming into the now. But actually, more than holding on to the potential first fruits now, we need to hold on to the certain wonder of the future. When you and I meet God face to face, when we have resurrection bodies, when we enjoy the new heaven and the new earth for all eternity, then we can look back on this life and say some of it was absolute agony, but it was still worth it. And that leads us to the third encouragement of the Holy Spirit being the hope of glory. And that is that the future does delight you. The future delights you. Because when we suffer, when we struggle, when we groan because of the present, the big temptation is to think that God doesn't really love me. Surely God doesn't really love me if he's allowing me to face such and such a situation. Yet what does Paul write at the end of Romans, verse 35? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And Paul answers that question, verse 37, saying, no, in all things, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And just notice the tense again there. He says, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, of course, Jesus loves us 
in the present, right now, today. But the key thing is that he loved us in the past. He has shown his love in the past through his death on the cross. The God of all this universe is totally committed to you. And he has shown that at the cross. And that is why we can be supremely convinced that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Holy Spirit. He is Christ in you. The hope of glory. The hope of glory glory. I wonder if you've ever heard people say so-and-so, talking about someone, so-and-so is so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly use. They're so heavenly minded they're of no earthly use. You know, the view that people are so focused on glory, uh, they're so focused on the future that it makes them of no use in in the present, no use in this life, you know, in the hurly-burly of business deals, of church planting strategies, of putting on alpha courses or Christianity Explore courses, of being a nurse, of remembering to put your rubbish out on the right night, of filling in your tax return correctly, of reaching out to the poor, of taking down a giant tent tomorrow, whatever it might be. I used to think that. People so heavenly-minded, they've just got their head in the clouds that they're of no use in the here and now. But you know, that is total rubbish. If you or I, if we have a true hope of glory, if we have a true hope of glory that doesn't make us less useful in the present, it actually makes us far more useful in the present. Here's why. Because if we are confident that in the future, God will give us glory, then in the present, we will be more ready to give God glory. If in the future we know that God will give us glory, then in the present, right now, you and I will be more ready to give God glory. Last year, I was um, doing a wedding at HTC at Holy Trinity Clapham. Uh, for some, some dear friends of mine, and uh, they asked one of my uh, children, Hope, um, to be a flower girl. Now, last year, Hope was two, so quite young to be a flower girl, and uh, very young when you are uh, expected to be the first person sort of walking into the church right at the start of the wedding service, and uh, to just walk down the aisle with these two other four-year-old girls that she'd never met before. And so, um, before the service, uh, when Susanna and I told Hope what she had to do, Hope, you've got to walk down the aisle, um, Hope refused. So there's no way. So we tried to sort of do a few dry runs with the other two four-year-old girls. Hope just refused. We suggested that the three of them sort of held hands and did a dry run and tried to do it together. Hope just refused. There was tantrums, there were tears, cuddles needed. That was just me. Um, (laughs) this, This was toddler meltdown. It was toddler meltdown. And then just before the service was about to start, Susanna came up with a brainwave, and she, she gave me a lollipop. And she said, Hope, Daddy will be at the far end of the church, where the vicar stands. Daddy will be there, he'll be with a lollipop, and you will get the lollipop if you walk down the aisle to Daddy when the music starts. And sure enough, the service started. And Hope, who's the, the little one in the dress on the right, she walked down the aisle 
perfectly to me, the big one in the dress, on the left. <laughs> you see, when she had that certain hope of glory, a lollipop from dad, then it transformed her walk down the aisle for the better, not for the worse. Now, for us, it is not cheap bribery like a lollipop because glory doesn't depend on our performance. But like hope, when we are confident in our future eternal glory, well, then we will walk down the aisle of life for the better, not for the worse. Because we're not chained back from representing Jesus to the world defining ourselves by our past because we're not defeated in the present giving up in the face of struggle and suffering and groaning but instead we are delighted in the future and that makes us want to work now in the power of God's spirit to bring God's kingdom more and more into being in the present and to prepare ourselves and to prepare others for future glory. Let me finish with a quote uh, from someone who perhaps, in my mind, more than anyone else I can think of in the last 250 years, exemplifies this truth. And it's someone from the church where I serve, the most famous member of the congregation ever, William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce, the MP who led the abolition of the slave trade. And I want to finish with this quote from Wilberforce. Wilberforce was uh, such an incredible man. He, he, was, he had such a passionate faith in Jesus. He wrote a book called Real Christianity. And it's this amazing book written around 1800, Real Christianity, talking about what is real faith in Jesus. What is a real relationship with Jesus rather than ritualistic religion? And you can also you can read so much of, of Wilberforce's prayer journals, his prayers to God. And I want to finish with a quote from Wilberforce. This is what he wrote in his prayer diary when he was in his late 20s. Late 20s, and this is so typical of what drove him to want to make a difference in this world. And he said this. He said, I resolve to endeavor henceforth to live more for the glory of God and the good of my fellow creatures. To live more by rule as in the presence of him by whom I shall finally be judged. And just as you look at that quote up there, two passions for this life that Wilberforce had. To live for God's glory and to live for the good of others. And two drivers of those passions. Two motives. As in the presence of him, Jesus by whom I shall finally be judged. The presence of him, that's Christ in you. By whom I shall finally be judged, that's the hope of glory. And tonight I pray that like Wilberforce, it will be the same for you and me today as we go from New Horizons. When you or I, when we have a certain hope of glory in the future, then and only then will we be clear on living for God's glory today in the present. And so wherever you are, next week, 
wherever you are next month, wherever you are next year until New Horizon 2018, you will be better able to live for God's glory because you have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit living and working in you and through you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Shall we stand? Let's stand. It may be coming right to the end of New Horizon. But our God, by his spirit, can still be doing a transforming work in you and in me. As we stand, we're declaring to each other, this coming year, I want to live for God's glory. And we're gathered here tonight, and we're gathered as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're soon to be, not gathered, but scattered, scattered across Northern Ireland and beyond. But we're gathered now and we're standing saying we want to live for God's glory this coming year. And I want to pray particularly for those here who are actually longing that this coming year will be a year when the past doesn't define you. Whatever that past is. Or those who are longing that this coming year would be a year when the present doesn't defeat you. You're saying, actually, this year, I don't want to be defined by the past. I don't want to be defeated by the present. I want to live this year as I trust in Christ, in the power of the Spirit, to live for God's glory. And if that's you, I'd love you. We're amongst friends. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. I'd love you just to, to raise your hand. Say, yeah, that's me. That's me. Just raise your hand where you are. I want to live this year for God's glory. I don't want to be defined by the past. don't want to be defeated by the present. Just keep those hands up just for a moment. And I'm just going to pray. But I'd love that those people who've got hands up, if you're near them, maybe just lay a hand on them. And don't need to pray anything out. But let's pray quietly under your breath for those people who've got their hands up. Just those around them. Just gather a few people. And just place your hand on them and just pray quietly God's blessing on them. That God might fill them with his spirit afresh. Let me pray from the front just with those people at the hands. Thank you for raising your hand. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are alive. And that you are in the business of transformation. We thank you so much that you are the one who our eyes are set on. And Lord God, we pray right now just for those men and women who've raised their hands. And we pray particularly for them right now that you would fill them afresh with your spirit. We pray that they might know you at work in a powerful way in their lives today and throughout this coming year. May they know the wonder 
that they are heirs of yours and co-heirs with Christ. Lord God, please, would you bless them? Please, would you fill them? And for those who are being challenged by the present, who are struggling, who are groaning, Lord, we know we can't demand it, but we ask that you might bring breakthrough, if that's your will, that they might just receive a portion of the not yet in the now. But Lord, even if they don't, we pray that they would not be defeated in their groaning and their suffering and their struggle. We pray that they might know how loved they are by you. We pray that you would help them trust you in the highs and in the lows. We pray that they might be able to echo those words, that they are more than conquerors through you, Lord Jesus, who loved us. Bless them, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.